right. Well, good morning. We are going to continue looking at grace. Grace. How many of you uh, grew up in your home saying grace? Saying some form of grace, right? It's one of those words, all right, let's say grace, or, you know, we're saved by grace. One of those words that, uh, depending on your upbringing, may be very familiar. And uh, sometimes the challenging part in that familiarity is that we may pick up things that maybe aren't necessarily biblical. And then uh, it becomes ingrained, and then we uh, can sort of live lives even as believers. Uh, and the challenge with that, if, if we're living lives as believers with definitions and understandings of biblical doctrine that, that isn't really completely accurate, it can kind of send you off. It can spin you. And that's why we're looking at grace, trying to understand what the Bible says. What is grace? What is grace? And, and over the past few weeks, I have been so blessed to hear many of you uh, Hear it, desire to apply it. In fact, I got a text from somebody uh, this week. I says, you know, they texted me and said, you know what? Today, I forget what day it was, Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. said, I've been telling myself over and over today, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I am what I am by the grace of God. That, that, that refrain that we, that we taught, right? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? So, so here's someone at work. They were at work. And uh, they're working through this, this issue. Who am I in Christ? Receiving grace, receiving as truth, not just here, but connecting the two. So it comes out here. When we leave here, this person is now decided that in their life at work, they're going to consciously, I was so blessed, consciously begin to appropriate and, 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 and try to ingrain this biblical truth into how they see themselves, because as they change that, they're going to be transformed, and it's going to come out in their life, right? And so this idea of grace, we love it, it sounds incredible, and yet, i got to be honest with you, there's something about God's grace that, man, oh man, it's tough. It is challenging, and we're going to look at that today. Why, why is it so tough? And then, and then biblical helps to understand how to overcome how to overcome that, right? Uh, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to walking with Jesus and following him in, in obedience and in power of the Holy Spirit, it's very interesting. In sports, how many of you have ever tried a sport or an activity, a craft, musical instrument, where you've been going, things are going pretty well, and then you hit a wall? You just kind of hit a wall. You plateau or you just can't seem to get the chord, that one chord, right? Bar chords for me, i you know, if you're a guitarist, bar chords, right? You're like, oh, I don't know how to bar chord, right? You, you, you come along and you just kind of get to this place, and whether it's a sport, and you just like, and you hit the wall. What's interesting, in, in sports and athletics and, and activities, cooking can even be a cooking, a wall in cooking, right? You have a choice to make. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay with it? Are you going to... Expand your learning, maybe do some things different, but you're going to stay with it. You're going to persevere. You're going to work through it and then come out on the other side. How many of you have had that wonderful experience in your life? You hit a wall, you make a progress, and you knew, okay, this is frustrating. I don't get it. I don't particularly like this right now. It was fun. How many of you have had something that was fun initially and then turned into not fun? Suddenly it's like, this is work. Suddenly this is work. My fingers hurt. Or, you know, I'm getting calluses or whatever, right? It turns into work, and then you're, when, it, when it turns into work, at that moment, you're, you and I are challenged. What am I going to do? And, and oftentimes, you, many of you just experienced, you raise your hands, you per, you've persevered, you worked through it, you got it. Finally, that, that chord progression, that thing you never thought you would ever get, little by little, you got it. You woke up one day, and you, by golly, your muscle memory kicked in. <laughs> And you were, you were changing chords faster than you ever thought. You didn't even have to look at the strings anymore, right, for all those guitar players out there. Well, sometimes the same thing happens in our walk with Jesus. You, get, you hear something about grace, and it sounds really good. And maybe initially you're like, oh, this is awesome. Yes, yes, yes. And then you try to apply it. And then it becomes work. And you maybe feel like you hit a spiritual wall. And you're like, oh, man, this i got all these bad habits. i got all these thoughts in my head. This is the way I've always done it. I hear this, and now it's, I feel like it's just work. 
It's just hard. I'm not getting this. Right? It's the same, it's the same thing. What are you going to do at that moment? What are you going to do at that moment spiritually when God is working on you? God wants to, to move you forward. He wants to transform you more and more like Jesus. And it's hard work. Challenging at that moment. It's the same principle. You got to hang in there. You got to hang in there. You got to maybe look at it differently. Okay, gosh, I'm stuck. I've been here. I've been, maybe I'm stuck because there's another way to look at it. Maybe I need help. How many of you still struggle with asking for help? Anyone? Anyone, right? It's weird. Even in our spiritual walk, we can get to a place and we know we're supposed to keep moving and we're struggling and we're struggling and we've been talking about the church for an entire year and we're surrounded by people who would love to help but we just won't ask for same thing right so we're going to keep moving forward in grace and 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 if you are wherever you're at with if you're visiting welcome if you've been with us I want you to hang in there hang in there cuz cuz grace is foundational. It is foundational to all of Christianity, right? Simple definition we've been looking at, grace in simple terms, is God's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That right there throws some of you for a loop. Unmerited. We live in a merit-demerit performance culture. So the fact that God's grace is based on unmerited favor, some of you already struggle with that. And we're going to talk about that. You're already, that's already spinning you. Unmerited. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've worked everything, I've earned everything in my whole life. No free lunch. <laughs> Unmerited. <laughs> right? <laughs> Deep down, some of you are, <laughs> you're just hiding it very well. Why is that? Because to receive something that's unmerited, oh, that goes right to the pride. That chops you right at the knees. There's nothing you can do, nothing to pay it back, nothing to earn it. It is all unmerited. Ugh, some, uh, that's just like a gut wrencher. That's just a blow to the abs for some of you. You don't like that. You don't like it. You don't like just receiving out of pure humility that there's nothing you can do to earn it or pay it back. You just don't like it. You don't like it. That, that's like that one, two, three. That's like the fifth word, <laughs> Right? God's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification. So it's unmerited, and now it's a supernatural enablement and empowerment, which means that this walk of following Jesus and glorifying him requires supernatural enablement, which means we're dependent. First you say it's unmerited. Now you're saying that I'm dependent. Double. Right? You don't like that. Because we have grown up in this culture where you earn everything and you grow up to be independent. Isn't the whole point to raise your kids to be independent of you? Right? Amen again. We got all <laughs> We're going to have a parenting counseling class afterwards. <laughs> so we're ingrained to be to go through the hoops, education good, and nothing wrong with it, to become independent of our parents and then we repeat the cycle with our kids. The crazy thing about God's grace is that it doesn't work that way. He flips it. It's called it's part of his upside-down kingdom. When you experience grace and salvation, as we're going to see, you actually become more and more dependent for the rest of your life on him and his grace. Well, I thought it was all about coming, following Jesus and doing my best. I'm going to do my best. I don't need anybody. In fact, I don't even think I need the church. I just watch it on TV. This independent spirit, this self-sufficient spirit has seeped into the, into the church. So it's unmerited, and it requires dependence in ever-increasing amounts for the rest of your time on this planet. Those two things right there will flip your world. 
will flip your world. I love this quote. The principle of grace is as fundamental to Christianity as that of justice is to law or love is to marriage. Christianity cannot be understood apart from an adequate grasp of grace. The doctrine of grace distinguishes the Christian faith from every other religion in the world, as well as from the cults. Rightly understood and applied, the doctrine of grace can revolutionize one's Christian life. Here's the crazy thing. That revolution can happen right now. Before you leave here. Before you leave here. Before you leave here. That's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing. Sinclair Ferguson says, spiritual growth always involves understanding, appreciating, receiving, and enjoying the grace of God. Enjoying the grace of God. We asked last Sunday, how many of us see Christianity as endurance versus enjoyment? How many of us today, this week, it's got to endure another week. Got to endure another service. Got to endure. Got to endure. Versus, by golly, today I want to enjoy. I'm going to enjoy God's grace. I'm going to enjoy walking with Jesus today. What a difference, right? What a difference. And it comes down to grace. It comes down to grace. We see ultimately it starts with salvation, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, right? Talking about we're saved by grace, right? Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So, foundationally, again, salvation, saving grace, right, is through faith in an object. Who's the object of our faith? Jesus, right? I put my faith, my trust, the illustration was you sitting in those chairs. Right now, you are trusting that chair. All of your weight is on that chair. None of you are anxious about that chair, right? How many of you are trusting the chair? You're not even helping it. That is saving faith. When you rest to that degree in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. That's what the Bible says. When you trust, not just when you know about the chair, look at the chair, describe the chair, read the chair manual, but when you sit in the chair and you rest, trusting in the chair, that's biblical faith. And when you do that with Jesus, the Bible says you're saved by grace. That's salvation right there. Resting in Jesus as much as you're resting in those chairs. That's it. Crazy thing, that's grace. Faith puts you into God's grace, right? Verse 2, it says there, through whom we have gained access by faith. They'll say, it's our faith, gives us access into God's grace, into God's grace, right? Kind of, I want to share a little bit. Some of you may come across this, this distinction between common grace and what I call saving or sanctifying grace, okay? Because Romans 5, 2 said we're, we have access into grace. It's a, it's a very unique grace. We're talking about a very special grace for those who put their faith in Jesus. Okay, let me explain. Common grace, here's the definition. Common grace refers to the grace of God that is common to all humankind. It is common because its benefits are experienced by the whole human race without distinction between one person and another, believers or unbelievers. It is grace because it is undeserved, and sovereignly bestowed by God. Here's some scriptures. Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to who? He has compassion on all he has made. Okay? There's this common, universal grace and goodness of God. Look at Matthew 5.44 and 45. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, that's common grace. That's common grace. Sun, rain. God, the Bible says in Hebrews, he upholds the universe in his grace and his goodness, right? In Acts 14, 
Barnabas and Paul are talking to unbelieving crowd, a crowd of idol worshipers. Look what it says in Acts 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, heard of this they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not let, left himself without testimony. Here we go. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. They're talking to unbelievers. They're talking about God's common grace. That's why even unbelievers can see a sunset and go, oh, right? In Romans, he talks about us having a conscience, a general conscience, right? It's all part of God's common grace, right? Highest expression of this, highest expression, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, to, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus, in the grace, called the grace of God, in God's grace, he sent Jesus. Look, it says, offers salvation to who? All men. It's a universal offer, not universalism. Very important. In God's common grace, there is a universal offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. John 14:6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's not universalism, but it is a universal offer. Amen? You guys get that? Right? It's really, really important that you understand there's common grace, right? And then there's what I call saving or sanctifying grace. Here's the key. The gospel, what we just talked about, Titus 2.11, the gospel is about moving people from common grace to sanctifying saving grace. Okay? So in this room right now, there are some of you, depending on your relationship with Jesus, if you're trusting him, you're experiencing God's common grace, right? The sun, the rain, even experiencing ups and downs of life. That's all common grace. Those of you who have put your faith in Christ alone, not only do you have common grace, but now you're under God's saving and sanctifying grace, reserved for his children, reserved for his children, his abundant riches, his inexhaustible riches of grace are for his children, are his, for his children, right? Now, when you understand this, this, this is also important, too, to understand the distinction. How many have ever heard the phrase, or someone asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Underlying that current is, is sort of this worldview that people are generally good versus the biblical view that we'll all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, common grace really flips the question and asks a more accurate question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Now, not bad and evil, wicked, but just bad and fallen. Bad and fallen. Bad and being born with a sinful nature. So in God's common grace, that, there's the answer. Why do good things happen to bad people? Because part of God's common grace is restraint. Is restraint upon the wickedness and the craziness of this planet. If God pulled back his common grace, this planet would be in a world of hurt. Except for God's common grace. He's restraining in his timing and in his sovereignty. Right? So you have to understand what we're talking about here is, okay, common grace faith in Jesus, trusting him. Now I enter into his family. I'm adopted. I'm placed as a son. We talked about that last Sunday. We're, we're placed in a position of an adult son with all the rights and privileges, whether you're a man or woman. You're there. And now the storehouse, daddy's wallet is open. His inexhaustible riches are called grace. It's open. It's open. The storehouse, right? We're going to look at that. Romans 5.17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, it's talking about Adam, 
How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, so receiving Jesus and then continuing to receive continual grace, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we've been talking about the last few weeks, this connection between receiving and reigning, receiving and reigning. Okay, so you start with receiving Jesus and then you continue every day choosing to receive God's grace more and more and more. The more you receive, the victory, the freedom, the transformation occurs. Right. That's what we've been talking about. And so why? Why is that so hard? Well, I shared this before. I've shared this many times. There's a sequence. Beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. Right? Beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. Why are we struggling if the actions is how we live our life as believers? Why are we struggling so much? Oftentimes in churches, it's like, well, give me a verse. Give me a verse. Tell me what to do, pastor. And in the church, we tend to want to live in the actions. Well, just tell me what to do. Truth is... If you want your doing to change, you've got to ask, what do you really believe? If you change your beliefs, it'll change your thoughts, your emotions, and your actions. I share Bill, right? Skydiver. Skydiver, right? My son was going to skydive, but it was raining, so, right? So think about skydiving. Quick survey. How many of you would jump out of a perfectly good plane? How many of you are like, no way, Jose? Okay, you know what that is about? Part of it is your belief structure. Bill and others who see that action of jumping out of a perfectly good airplane with a piece of plastic on your back is as fun, as fun, have a belief structure. It's safe. Fundamentally, they believe it's safe. Therefore, I can enjoy it. Therefore, right? Others who may not ever want to do that may fundamentally be struggling with one belief of many, but one belief is that it's not safe. I shall die. And I shall see Jesus in seven minutes, right? Is that right? About seven minutes is the fall at 100 miles an hour, right? It's belief structure. It's belief structure. So if I was going to try to say, hey, if Bill was going to really try to get someone, encourage someone to jump out of a good plane, he would have to start here. Because once he changed their beliefs, then they would think, okay, okay, I think this is okay. They might actually change their emotions. I think this will be fun. And then they'll do it. Right? Same thing happens. Same thing happens with us in our walk with the Lord, even with grace. We might be struggling with grace, guys and girls, because we have to look at some beliefs. We're going to look at two beliefs today. First belief is why are we struggling with grace? It might be because we don't see God as gracious. We struggle with this idea of grace because we don't believe God is a God of grace. Right? Think about that. Depending on your upbringing, I love this quote by Chip Ingram. What you think about God shapes your whole relationship with him. So if I were to ask you, again, we've talked about this, had some fun with the last few Sundays. What's God's emoji? What emoji would you pick as God? Not, not how he thinks about you, but just God in general right now. If I were to say, pick any of the emojis or make your own about what you picture God like, Hmm. What would, well, how would you describe God? How do you see God? Not, not how you think you should, but really, what do you believe about God? And how do you see him? What's the picture? What's the picture? Because, because if we don't see God as a God of grace, you're going to struggle with receiving it. In fact, you're not even going to struggle with receiving it. You're going to struggle with coming to him to ask for it. To ask for it. How many of you growing up, or even as a parent, there was a time when you had to go ask dad or mom something that you know wasn't going to go over well? And you debated amongst the siblings who was going to go do it. And he went, you go ask him. No, you go ask him. I don't want to ask him. You ask him. I asked him last time. Anyone? Right? So, so, right? The looming figure is in the room. Next room watching TV or whatever, and everyone's like, you ask him. I don't want to ask him. Yeah, he yelled at me last time, right? I'm, your turn, right? And you get this whole big thing, and you build up this person in the other room that you can't approach. Or you wait for commercial, 
Or you wait, well, you know, timing is everything, right? Little kids are sharp. Timing is everything. You're like, no, don't ask him. Go ask mom. She's easier, right? So you even struggle with, who do, who do I really ask? Who's the, you know? See, we get into that with God. We get into that with God. God is in his lounge chair watching the Dodger game, and you can't disrupt him with your need. There's something really going on in your life, but God is too busy, and if you interrupt the Dodger game with your need, woo! Woo! And we convince ourselves of that so we don't even ask. Because we convince that we know the answer, we know the outcome. And if we don't see God as the God of grace, well, I just got to deal with it on my own. I'm just going to deal with it on my own. Like He's too busy. He's going to be angry. He's going to give me that look. How many of you had a look? Right? You have the look from your parents? How many of you had the look? So you're, 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 in your head, you think that God's going to give you the exact same look. And you resonate with that in your emotions. Beliefs, thought, emotions. You have this belief about God, resonates with your thoughts, and then you even feel things. Right? We're going to look at God as a God of grace. But where do we get this idea that he's angry all the time? He's just angry. He's just waiting for you to mess up. He's the big principle in the sky. Right? We get this. I mean, we even get it from insurance companies. Right? I like how they define an act of God. You're familiar with insurance companies, right? An act of God, in insurance terms, is a damaging event or peril outside of human control that no one could have prevented and for which no one can be held legally responsible. Some examples include flood, earthquake, tornado, lightning strikes. All acts of God. I'd like to go ask him for help. I might get a flood out of it. And if he's in a good nude, maybe he'll throw a lightning strike at me with just a boot. Right? So we get this ingrained. Act of God. Right? And then depending on your upbringing, the wrath of God. Right? And, and we're not diminishing his holiness at all because God is holy, holy, holy. God is love. But one of the things that we don't really give equal weight to, and it's all equal. If God is all of this all the time. Amen? So we often say we'll start service. God is good. And all the time, how about this? God is grace. Oh, and all the time, oh, do you believe that? See? He's all of it all the time. He's 100% good. He's 100% love. He's 100% holy. He's 100% grace 100% of the time. We have to ingrain that in us. We have to believe that, right? We have to believe that. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Look at some of these verses. Maybe some of us just skipped right over in the Old Testament. Exodus 34, 5 and 6. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. This is God talking about himself. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's the Old Testament God? Wow. That's the Old Testament God? Yeah, that's the Old Testament God describing himself. Crazy, right? Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is the Old Testament God. Why was Jonah so bent with God? Really, what was the core of him being angry with God? Look at it in, uh, in uh, Jonah 4, 1-3. To, to but Jonah... But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. God having mercy on Nineveh. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Right? This is Jonah who's mad at God for being what? Gracious. I knew you would save them Ninevites, those wicked people. How dare you, God? How dare you be so gracious? 
right? This is the Old Testament God. So some of us might have to take time, really, to recalibrate your belief about God. Some of you are carrying around deeply, deeply ingrained beliefs about God that you picked up when you were high or someone said it, and it's affecting your ability and willingness to receive his grace right now. You don't want to disturb the big guy in the lounge chair. You don't want to disturb him. You're afraid. You're afraid. You're scared. Right? All goes back to what you believe. One interesting thing, to help you even reframe, even for those of you who know the Bible, how many of you grew up and you saw the, the story of Genesis where God provides everything and then there's the fall how many of you typically, and I was guilty of this for a long time, when you read the fall, God's provision, creation, and then the fall, you kind of looked at it like, well, God got mad and kicked them out. Right? God had provided everything. Adam and Eve blew it, so he kicked them out. Gave them the old boot. Not very compassionate. Right? If you think about that. How do you frame that? How do you frame that? As the angry, wrathful, holy, holy, holy God that gave them the boot? Well, let me share something with you, a couple of verses, because you just need to challenge. You need to really challenge your view of God in the Old Testament. Genesis two fifteen to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Say any. But you must not eat from the tree. Everyone say the tree. Of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you must surely die. See, a lot of us, even that, we're like, oh, look, God's just a, he's a God of rules. Just rules. Read it again. You are free to eat from, but just don't eat from. You are free to eat from, but just don't eat from one. The tree. You see how it reframes it? He provided abundantly in his grace and his goodness. Any tree. It's all there. See that orchard? You see that orchard across the street? You can eat it all except for one. Does it change your view of God? Suddenly he's not such a God of rules and regulations and just wants to stifle me. He said, no, eat of any of it. I just, I'm, just putting, I'm just putting boundary around one of them. I think that's a God of grace. And that's a good God. And that's a good, good father. Right? In Genesis 3, we don't have time to read it. Read the fall through this lens. Read the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned, did God know? He came down. He says, hey, Adam, where are you? Did he know where Adam was hiding behind the tree? Like, Adam, where are you? I don't know. Come out, come out. He knew. The God of grace initiated seeking Adam and Eve. The God of grace, even though they, they blew it the biggest fall ever with lasting impact, right? The God of grace initiated a plan of redemption that fast. That fast. He sought them out, he clothed them, and he put a plan of redemption that fast. That's a God of grace. That's a God of grace. So we have to start there, guys. If we're going to be receiving God's grace, some of us need to reframe how we see him. You need to bring grace. In fact, there's a beautiful connection. It says, how can a holy, holy, holy God love Sinful people. You know what's great? The bridge? Grace. God's holiness. God's love. Nothing is diminished because God is grace. He's all of it all the time. None of his attributes are done in isolation. You got to put it all in there. You got to put them all in. You got to see God rightly, right? First Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steady. He's the God of all grace. That's who he is. He's the God of all grace, right? 
That's number one. Number one is we got this idea, this belief, this false belief about God may be inaccurate, right? Second reason we struggle with receiving God's grace, receiving and reigning, is what we call the debtor's ethic. The debtor's ethic. Now, remember the definition of grace with its unmerited favor, right? Anyone here ever receive a gift that was so overwhelming, maybe even price, that you were stunned and you immediately thought of how to pay them back? Anyone? Maybe not monetarily, but thought you were going to give them something of equal value, that you had to repay them somehow? Here's the challenge, guys. A lot of us struggle with receiving God's grace because we have brought, that's called the debtor's ethic, into the church. Here's the definition. The debtor's ethic has a deadly appeal to immature Christians. It comes packaged as a gratitude ethic and says things like, God has done so much for you. Now what will you do for him? The Christian life is pictured as an effort to pay back the debt we owe to God. The admission is made that we will never fully pay it off, but the debtor's ethic demands that we work at it. Good deeds and religious acts are the installment payments we make on the unending debt we owe to God. How many of you are right now thrilled with the debt that you're carrying on your house and on your credit cards and your cars? Anyone here? Just, you just, I'm, you're just, I love being in debt. I wake up every morning with a smile with this mountain of debt. Right? It, it, it's strange because how you feel about your debt on your house, if you bring that same feeling, this debtor's ethic into your relationship with God, how do you think you're going to feel about God? How do you think you're going to feel about coming to church and serving and giving and reading your Bible and prayer? Because now God is the cosmic debt collector who's constantly ringing your phone. Hey, 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 when are you going to pay it back? When are you going to pay it back? And a lot of us have bought into this. A lot of us have bought into this. And this is the one reason that, that we struggle. We might even l- not like grace because we like feeling like we earned it. Payback. This idea of receiving and receiving, and receiving, and receiving, and receiving, and receiving, and receiving. Oh, sounds great on paper, but we don't necessarily like that. Some of us. We like to somehow feel like we earned it. Or we're doing something to make it okay to keep receiving. That's the debtor's ethic, and that is dangerous church that is dangerous in your relationship with god you want to know why you're not joyful because you know god's the big mortgage company god's your credit card company god's your finance company and you are just feeling like every day you got to pay him back somehow you're not having joy there's no freedom you're in bondage you're still working off the debt it's crazy how many of you remember Years back, that movie, Saving Private Ryan. Great movie, right? Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Tom Hanks played Captain Miller. World War II. Captain Miller is assigned to go find Private Ryan, who's lost in the line somewhere in the front. Private Ryan's three brothers have been killed. Uh, the government has said, hey, Captain Miller, get some men. Go find this Private Ryan because we're sending him home. Right? And the story's about the journey of finding Private Ryan. They eventually find him. At the end of the movie, Captain Miller is dying. He gets shot. He's dying, and Private Ryan's right in front of him. Right? And there's a classic line in the movie where Tom Hanks, Captain Miller, pulls him real close, and, and all this stuff's going on, and he, he, says, he says, earn this. Earn it. Earn this. Earn it. Movie ends. They flash back to the cemetery. Private Ryan is now in his 60s or 70s visiting Captain Miller's grave. And he says this to Captain Miller's tombstone. 
I've tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that in your eyes I have earned what all of you have done for me. Okay, at the human level, we get that. But that is not grace. You see? It's a beautiful story. But I was reading comments about that when it came out, and that phrase, earn it, earn this. See, a lot of us as Christians in the church, you think that Jesus from the cross is looking down on you and saying, earn this, earn it. And some of you are living, and you're, you, you think that if you die, you're going to get to the pearly gates, and you're going to have to say the exact same thing. I tried to live the life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that in your eyes, I have earned all that you've done for me. Many in the church are still living that lie. It's bondage. It is bondage. It colors everything. If you are trying to earn what Jesus did in grace, you don't still don't get grace. What did I tell you before? If someone gives you a gift... The minute you try to pay them back, you just change the gift. It's no longer a gift. Now it's an obligation. You just change the gift into an obligation the second you feel like you have to pay it back. And a lot of us as believers, unfortunately, it's perpetuated in the church, right? Jesus died for you. What are you doing for him? And we, 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 I think even pastorally we're guilty of this because that's our, that's our hook to try to motivate y'all to do something, right? We can't trust God to move in your heart and be overwhelmed with his grace and his love and his mercy and just want to do it. We feel like we have to guilt you. Hey, Mike, you earned it lately, buddy? Because if you're feeling like you need to earn it, I have a ministry for you. (laughs) And this ministry will give you 10 credits. We can do that. And it's horrible. It's horrible. What, what a disgrace that I, I would feel like I have to manipulate and coerce you into feeling like you have to earn something that was grace. It was a gift. It's just a gift. How many of you have just been so overwhelmed by a gift that it just has just this welling up of gratitude and love came out? Just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, I just love you back. Okay, here, here, simple example. How many of you have ever been to a good restaurant and, like, spontaneously, with no coercion, told someone about how good it was? Anyone? You had a good experience somewhere, and you're like, dude, last night, killer steak. You see the difference? You just did. You had this overwhelming, wonderful experience at this restaurant. You couldn't help but tell someone, you got to check this out, dude. And this is what you have to order. This awesome. You see the difference? That's grace. It's being overwhelmed. It's just being like, oh, I get it. Yes. There's nothing, there's nothing to pay back. Nothing to earn. It's crazy, isn't it? Right? Dear sister said, I don't get it. I'm like, I don't get it either. That's called grace. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. Jesus died on that cross, suffered horribly out of grace. Nothing to pay back. Nothing to earn. Right? John Piper says this. I just want to share a little bit because this is so helpful even for me. It says, When a person takes a step of obedience and thinks, I am paying back God, paying back to God what he has given to me, they're making a profound mistake. They're not paying back anything if they're living the way they should. They are depending on new grace to take that step, and therefore they need to go deeper into debt. You shouldn't think of obedience as a mortgage payment trying to pay back God month by month until you get the debt paid off. Rather, we should think that obedience is going deeper in debt to God every moment because it takes more grace to be obedient this afternoon than I had yesterday. 
till I get more and more from God. I go deeper and deeper into debt. And that's the best and happiest way to live. We will never get out of debt to grace. So the greatest Christian is the one who reaches the finish line with the most debt to God? Exactly, he says. The most conscious debt to God. I want to say conscious to emphasize that it is right to be dependent on God moment by moment. And if we're dependent on God moment by moment to supply grace and ability and everything we need spiritually, emotionally, and materially, then we'll get out of our head once and for all the notion that we will ever get beyond radical, total dependence on him. You just got to settle the fact, guys. For the rest of your time on this planet, you're going to need more and more grace. But the crazy thing is, in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, that's the good thing. You're supposed to go into what he calls grace debt. That's why he does it. That's why he did it. I grew up in a culture uh, in my family, and we go to family parties, where you ever go to a family party, and the host or hostess just wants you to keep eating? Like, they get joy to see food on your plate. Anyone? Right? They, they, they get joy. They, they host, and, and every time you go back, they smile bigger. Anyone? That's God's grace. You honor God by going back for seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths of the plate of grace. Amen? Every time you go back and say, God, I need more grace, it puts a bigger smile on his face. That's what he's about. He wants you to keep coming to the grace table and keep going back. It lights him. That honors him. Whenever I do that at my auntie's house and I go back again, she comes, oh, you like that? Like, that's good, auntie. Oh, have some more. And she just gets so excited. That, that her little nephew is just like filling up with the Filipino food. And I walk away and she's like, he likes it. He likes it. She's lit. She's excited. That's what she wants me to do. That's what she wants me to do. Keep coming back. It honors her. It fulfills her. It gives her joy when people keep coming back. And woe to me if I ever try to repay her. Oh, right, that's the classic. Auntie, can I help clean up? It's so good. Oh, it's an affront. If I try to do anything to repay her hospitality, her generosity, even by trying to do the dishes, oh, don't be silly. It's an affront to her to try to pay it back. God wants you to keep coming to the grace table. And refilling. It lights him up. It lights him up. You got to go back to that childlike faith where you're like, hey, you want to go back to the dessert table? I know when you're all little, go to the potluck to your, hey, let's just go. And you just go, you keep sneaking back. That's what he wants. Keep going back. Just puts a bigger smile on his face. It puts a bigger smile on his face. Hebrews 4, 14, 16, we'll we'll close with these verses. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then Approach God's throne of what? Grace. With confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay. The only way you're going to approach God's throne... It's based really on how you see him. That word throne, a little scary. Right? Based on all the movies, whatever. Right? Throne. Right? Mostly throne of judgment. Great, right, throne judgment. Right? It's the throne of what? Grace. 
And who's sitting on it? A God of, oh, oh, the God of grace is sitting on the throne of grace. And that verse says we can approach, which is present tense, which is continually. We can draw near. We can, we can draw near. And it says, when it says throne of grace with confidence, you know what that means? Speak freely. Permission to speak freely, sir. You can approach the God of grace on the throne of grace continuously with complete freedom to speak freely, openly. As we like to say, let her rip. <laughs> complete paradigm change to the angry, grouchy guy on the couch. For some of you, if you'll change this, it can revolutionize right now. If it's a God of grace on a throne of grace and you can come 24-7 because you're placed as a son in his family and you can speak freely, radical change right now. And here's the thing. What are you going to get? You're going to receive mercy, which means compassion, understanding of where you're at, and fine grace to help us in our time of need. That fine grace doesn't mean it's lost. It means it's there. You just have to avail yourself of it. It's right there. You just have to do what you need to do to come get it. And it says to help in our time of need. So you're going to come to the God of grace on the throne of grace, permission to speak freely 24-7, 365. When you get there, you're going to get compassion, you're going to get grace, and you're going to get help. (laughs) And here's the thing. That word help. In the Greek, it appears here, and it appears one other place in Acts 27, 17. The Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome in a wooden ship. They, they, they experience a hurricane, right? They're taking all these measures so that the hurricane doesn't destroy the ship. Here's where it says, When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Hurricane is so bad that they're afraid that the ship is going to come apart, all the planks. Where it says they passed ropes under the ship, that word to describe that phrase is the same word of help. It's a nautical term called frapping. When you frap something, you literally, they would pass ropes under the ship and they would tighten it down as as much as possible to hold it together. To hold it together. In a hurricane, being battered by the waves and the wind and the storm, they frapped the ship to hold it together. Go back to Hebrews 4.16. We receive mercy and find grace to frap us in our time of need. You ever have a time in your life where you feel like it's all coming apart? Bursting at the seams? Hurricane has come, the storm has come, and you're not even sure your ship is going to make it. Where do you go? What do you do? That verse tells us on the authority of God's word, I can go to my father, because my father is the God of grace. My father sits on the throne of grace. I can come to him 24-7, 365. I have permission to speak freely. And when I speak freely to my father, he's going to be compassionate. I'm going to get supernatural help. And he's going to hold me. He's going to hold me. And he's going to tell me that's going to be okay. Even inside, if I feel like the storm is so bad that it's going to come apart, and I'm coming apart, and things are already leaking, and I'm hearing the creaks and all this, You know what my father on the throne of grace does? He holds me. Just like the ropes hold the ship. Here's the thing. He holds you and me as long as we need to be held. Because he knows us. He knows our frame. He knows our frame. And, you know, in almost 30 years of ministry, I've been put in some very, very, agonizing situations in life situations that i never thought i would have to be a part of and and i've seen people devastated absolutely wiped out and at that time at those times i've I've realized that my role isn't to come in and preach something my role is to come in and, and help frap 
and just help someone and just hold them together. And even this past week, I had an opportunity to minister. And there wasn't anything to say. Just to hold. Just to hold. And believe that in holding this person in this absolutely agonizing, devastating situation was a manifestation of God's grace. Just God's grace. Just to hold someone to, who, who maybe feels like it's all coming apart. And I just want to just give you a word of encouragement, church. I get it. Sometimes out of our pride or self-reliance or whatever lack of understanding, when things happen in our life, we actually do the opposite. We don't come to the throne of grace. We actually turn inward. And I got this. I can't go to anyone. No one's going to understand. I'm going to be judged. It's a sign of weakness. And we stop even coming to church. We stop. The very, the very thing, church, scripture reading, Bible, the very things of the means of grace that God puts into our life, we, we, we put aside because it's all turned inward. And we're just trying to hold ourselves together. I got to get it together. I got to keep it together. I got to keep it together. Word of encouragement. You got to go to the throne of grace. You got to go to the throne of grace. Because on the authority of Scripture, if you're a believer, your father, Abba, is a God of grace. And he sits on the throne of grace. And when you go to him, anytime, any day, you can say whatever you want. And you are going to find mercy, grace, and help. That's what you're going to find. I just got to encourage you. Why is it so hard, God's grace? Because it cuts to the core of our pride. It cuts to the core of our pride and our self-sufficiency and our self-reliance. We got to feel like we got to pay it back, earn it. That's just a lie. It's not God's grace. Right? What does James 4, 6 say? He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, here it is, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's just humility. Just humility, guys. Humility before God and humility to your brothers and sisters. To come to somebody and say, you know what? I have no clue what to do. I have no clue. And I know it's, it's, it's tough. I'm processing everything that happened this past week myself and trying to understand. And uh, I just throw in a grace. 24-7, 365. The God of grace, you'll find grace. And by golly, he'll frap you. He'll frap you. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for uh, the privilege we have, truly, to receive your grace. My prayer for this this morning is, is those here who perhaps this morning have been experiencing and enjoying God's common grace and yet have never trusted Jesus for salvation alone, that you would do that this morning and then be placed into God's family and enjoy the riches of his grace that are always available to his children. Lord, I pray that you would help us to change our view of you to encompass your grace so that we have a right view of you, a right belief about who you are. You are a God of grace. You've always been. You've always been, all the way back to the garden. You've always been a God of grace. So if we see you as angry and vengeful, full of wrath, waiting for us to mess up again, disappointed in us, bothered by us, I pray now you would change that. Change it. 
on the authority of scripture. Change it. You're a God of grace. You're a God of grace. We know it's not a license to sin. It's none of that. It's just grace. It's just you wanting us to be overwhelmed with your grace that we want to live for you. And then, Lord, I pray for those here who maybe are going through a storm, hurricane, that in humility they would come to you, find mercy, grace, and help. That at this very moment you would wrap your arms around them. Maybe they feel like it's coming apart. And they just need to be held by you. So Father, we uh, sing this song as a prayer. We just open up to you. and However you would like to express that to God, you're free. If you want to stand as a prayer to God, if you want to come, you can here to the front and just lay your cares, whatever you want to do. This is a time for you to respond to what God is doing in your life.